0: your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, continuing our study in Hebrews. I had Josh read Romans chapter 8, the first four verses this morning for the call to worship. And as he alluded to, it is just Paul's version of what the author of Hebrews is writing in the first three verses this morning and what he has been teaching us over the past few weeks as we have studied These chapters, again, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As I said, those first three verses summarize the past few chapters. They establish they 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 restate that foundation that we as Christians are privileged are provided for to live our lives based on that foundation having firmly established we are going to get much more practical over the next few weeks as we study continue our study in hebrews it's going to be some more application for us as believers the rubber is going to meet the proverbial road if you want to say it that way today the author has some exhortations for the readers He says, draw near, hold fast, and stir up. Those are the phrases I pulled out. Stir up is what prompted me to give it the title of the recipe for life. Just envision these exhortations that he gives us to work together to bring us to the goal, the goal of eternity with him. I believe that focusing on these three exhortations has the potential to bring us Great peace, even in the midst of our trials, wherever they are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for these exhortations. May your spirit guide us as we study them, as we learn and we desire to grow in them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 22, the author says, Let us draw near. We'll draw near to who? Who's he speaking of? The NIV finishes the thought, it says, let us draw near to God. Remember, until the new covenant, the human priests were the mediators between mankind and God. But Christ, the great high priest, made a way for us to draw near to God ourselves. The veil was torn. He made a way for us to draw near to God personally and intimately. James chapter 4, verse 8, James give us, gives us the promise, the truth. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The author of Hebrews goes on to explain why we can draw near to God. We can do it because we have a true heart. Not because of anything that we have done but because of everything that Christ has done. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience prior to the new covenant. The blood of bulls and goats was spilled on the altars we talked about last week over and over repeatedly. Their hearts repeatedly were reminded, reminded of their evil conscience. But at the cross... Christ's blood was sprinkled directly on our hearts. The blood of bulls and goats reminded mankind of our sin. Christ's blood sprinkled our hearts clean from an evil conscience once and for all. The second reason that the author gives us that we can draw near to God is that we have full assurance of faith. We can be confident. Why? Because our bodies are washed with pure water. Now, there is some debate over this phrase among commentators, but I believe that this is an inference to water baptism. Water baptism, the act of water baptism, no matter the mode you choose, does not actually cleanse us. It has no physical effect But it is a means for us to identify ourselves with the one who does. And let me add, it is a beautiful means. It is an extreme privilege to be identified with our Savior by stepping forward in faith and asking to be baptized by water in an external and outward demonstration of our faith in God. I encourage you that if you have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you have not yet, not yet taken that step, I encourage you to seek it out, to at least ask questions, to study it in Scripture, and to understand the fullness and the beauty of participating in that sacrament. We can draw near to God because Christ's sacrifice cleanses us inside and out. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10. He says, Yet for all this, Her treacherous sister, Judah, speaking of the nation of Judah, did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. God doesn't want pretense, fakeness. He can see right through it. He wants genuineness. And he made a way for us to be genuine, pure and holy before him. So how do we practically, God made the way, we are called to draw near to God. How do we practically draw near to God? Read and study His Word. Exercise the disciplines. Read and study His Holy Spirit-inspired Word. Take it deep into our minds and our hearts. Pray regularly, fervently, humbly. Worship Him, both in our private closets our private worship areas, and corporately, as we did this morning. I continue to be blessed by the privilege of participating in that together as this congregation to lift our voices, to resonate in worship of our Creator. And finally, practically, finally, my points, and I'm sure there's other ways you can think of, but look for God in every circumstance of our days. Look for the fingerprints of God in our lives. That's how we draw near to God. Study Him. Worship Him. Pray to Him. Look for Him. Verse 23. We have our second exhortation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Again, why are we saying this morning? He will hold us fast. Yes, he will, because he has finished. It is complete. It is done. Christ paid the price. But yet we are called to hold fast, to hold on. For he who promised is faithful. For, because, he who promised is faithful. Hold on to that. Despite the reality of our circumstances, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. First Peter chapter three verse fifteen, it says, "But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you." Luke. Chapter 1, verse 45, looking at the Christmas story that we're getting ready to come into again in in our calendar year to celebrate Christ's birth. But looking here at Luke chapter 1, verse 45, it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now those were some crazy promises that Elizabeth believed. All those things that she was told, the, the miracle of her own baby, the miracle of the Savior to come, the miracle of the fact that when she came within sight of Mary, her baby leapt in her womb. Those are incredible accounts, true accounts. And in all that, she was holding on to the promise that her Savior, Jesus Christ, was in the womb of Mary. And she knew what was to come, she held on to those promises. Despite her own personal struggles, despite the struggles of the day, and she believed them unconditionally. The message paraphrase, translate this verse, this, this verse this way. He says, "Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. How do we hold fast? Know the promises of God. And believe that he, God, never breaks them. Verse 24. We have the final exhortation. The author says, let us consider how to stir up one another. To stir up. Christians are called to stir each other up. That's what the author is saying here. That is the purpose of relationships. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. But before we get to the stirring up, let's look a bit at the way that we are called to approach the stirring up. The text does not just say, let us stir up one another. It says... Let us consider how to stir up one another. We know as human beings how to push each other's buttons. We know how to get each other riled up. Raising seven children, there have been a lot of buttons to push in our house nine total different personalities there's a lot of buttons to push there we know how to upset each other in our sinfulness sometimes we and going outside my family now i don't want to keep it that narrow but we as believers sometimes we do it on purpose we either enjoy their response or we feel justified because the reaction is sinful we say to ourselves, well, they need to learn, so I'm just doing my duty of pushing their button until they mature. It doesn't work that way. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, I'm going to reference a couple of verses here, and they are, ca- they are speaking directly to fathers, but they apply to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Kevin paraphrased, don't push your children's buttons. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't push your children's buttons. Teach them. Bring them up, teaching them the character and the nature of God. If we know not to exhaust the analogy, but, we know, but if we know that someone has a button, we need to teach them God's way of dealing with that button. That teaching will be more effective when that button hasn't just been pushed, when the defenses aren't up, when we can, when we can go back and we can point them to God. Because what happens if we push their button and then we try to teach them, then it's not about God, it's about us. That's bringing it to the relationship of a parent and a child. But as I said, the same truth applies between brothers and sisters in Christ. When we think that we can stir somebody up by irritating them, by triggering their response, and then we can teach them that's going to make it about us and not about God. We often are tempted to stir up a brother or sister, to correct them because they've wronged us in some way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are not called to stir them up for our gain. Not to get our way, not to get the respect that we think we deserve, not for retribution for what they've done to us. We are called to stir each other up for God's glory and the other person's good. So we're called to stir them up, but what are we stirring them up to? The author says, to love and good works. This love is not an emotion a romantic or sensual love, a feeling. It's a choice to act regardless of our feelings, an unconditional, sacrificial love. The second is good works, works done for the good of others, not done for pats on the back, good job, way to go. No, that's not why we're called to do good works. But for the purpose of being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Those are the words of Jesus. That's the first part of the stirring up. In our relationships with others. If it stopped there, we could limit it to our friends and our family, those who are already in our circle of influence, to our day-to-day interactions. But the author brings this principle of stirring up into the context of the church. The author says, Not neglecting to meet together. Stir each other up. Not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Like today, people back then were apparently avoiding public church activities. Now, I'm not going to quote a whole bunch of statistics this morning, but we all know that church participation has been declining. In the U.S. and around the world. And we may be beginning to see it here in our own local community. For decades, this has been happening. But we all know that word we don't like to use, COVID, accelerated it. The things I'm going to say now... I want you all to hear. I want you to know that they come from my heart because I think it is important. It is crucial that we are part of a church body. But not only that we are part of a church body, but that we engage in that church body. And I exhort you to that just as the author exhorts you to that because it is important. It is a powerful, precious gift that we have. If you're watching our live stream this morning, thank you. It's a blessing that you can join us and you can be a part of us in a small way via that live stream. We started that live stream here before COVID, a couple years before COVID, I believe. It is an awesome resource. It is a beautiful ministry. But please hear me this morning. Don't let it be your church. If you are homebound, please feel no condemnation. But if you are able to physically be a part of a church, if you are able to get out, even if it's not Providence Mennonite Church in Montgomery, Indiana, please find a church to be a part of. There is no substitution for corporate worship. Now, that doesn't have to be 250 people. It can be 10 people. It can be 500 people. But it needs to be people outside of your day-to-day circle. It needs to be people who you are seeking to grow together in faith. There is no substitution for the physical gathering together of God's children. If you are here this morning, are you really part of the church? Moving on from those on the live stream, if you're here this morning, are you part of the church? Sitting in your pew, but spending more time on your phone than you are engaging in the service, whether that's the singing, the sharing time listening to me sit up here and talk. If you're spending more time on your phone than you're engaging in any of that, it's not going to cut it. You're in the same room, but you are not gathering together. You're not encouraging each other. There's a reason why we at Providence offer Bible studies, Wednesday evening kids programs, youth activities and Bible studies small groups, Sunday school, special events for all ages. To grow together as believers, we have to be together. Yes, we want to teach. Teaching is important. But relationship is what brings the growth. We know that teaching has the greatest effect when it comes with Relationship. The church used to be the center of social interactions. You went to church because you wanted to be at church. You wanted to be a part of the body. You couldn't see what your friends and loved ones were doing just by scrolling on your phone. You actually had to have conversations, and in those conversations, it was a lot harder to put up a false front. The church is no longer the center of social interaction. In fact, it has been pushed into getting only the crumbs of our time, the crumbs of our days. There are so many entertainment options, many teaching us things contrary, and our children, things that are contrary to the nature of God. We have so many hobbies. Our kids are in so many extracurricular activities. We have to work so many hours to pay for our entertainment, our hobbies, and our kids' extracurricular activities, among, among many other things that are pulling on our finances. But as a result, there are very few crumbs of time left for our church family. And our church family, sadly, in the greater church, isn't a family at all. It's just a place that we sometimes go on Sunday mornings when we have time and we're not too tired. Yes, there are areas where the church is growing, areas where the gospel has just been introduced, Those are encouraging. Those are a blessing to hear about, to be a part of, to sponsor even. In many ways, this process is cyclical. There will be revival in different geographical scopes, and and the church will grow exponentially. I've heard many testimonies of that in African nations where churches have been planted, and and the word of God has just spread beautifully. We know we've had times of revival even in the history of our country. But inevitably, there will be shrinkage in attendance over time. This is not a deficiency in the gospel. This is a reality of sinful man. We each have a choice to make. As we face the realities of this fallen world, God gives us community to help hold us up. So instead of neglecting to meet together, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, this morning, that day is drawing near. And there's coming a day, it's very possible. Again, we don't know the day or the hour. But it is possible that we will see a day as those of us within The ability to hear my voice this morning will realize the coming of Christ, will realize the end of this world. And we know the scripture tells us that as that day draws nearer, this world is going to get more and more uncomfortable, more and more treacherous, more and more evil. There's coming a day if we are here at the time that the world ends, it's very possible that the only thing only thing in physically in this world that we will have to hold on to. It won't be our people who join us in our hobbies, our people who join us in our entertainment. It'll be the church family. It's very possible that as that day does draw near, that the only group that we will have to lean on, to stand on, is a church family. We are so used to depending on the things of the world. Satan has been effective in distracting us and putting God's earthly church in second place or a distant second place. How are you doing in these areas this morning? Are you drawing near to God? Is he the reason that you get up every morning? Are you holding fast to his promises? Do you believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do? Are you part of his church? Are you vested in his church? Is the church family important to you? God has made all of these things possible for his children by the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. When you neglect or deny any of them, you are setting yourself up for discouragement and despair. When you embrace them, receive them as the gifts that they are, you have the recipe for hope, joy, and peace, despite your circumstances. I pray this morning that you are embracing these gifts that God has given us. Seek out God. Run to Him. Hold fast to His his promises. Stir each other up. In love and gentleness, stir each other up. Bring each other Closer and closer to God. These are gifts that God has given us. To draw near to him. To hold fast to him. To stir each other up. These are not things that we want to forsake. Things that we want to set aside. We should be taking inventory of our lives. And things that are hindering any of these exhortations. We should take to the feet of Jesus. I pray this morning that you hear my heart. I pray that you know, again, I say the words, there is no condemnation. The words I've said here this morning are to encourage you, to exhort you, to let you know that if the things of this world are weighing you down, it is finished. Christ has made the way. And now he's calling you on how to embrace that how to live triumphantly in that as a firm foundation. I pray that you are realizing that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the gift of the life, death, and resurrection of your son. God, we thank you that by that sacrifice, we can draw near to you. We don't have to go through some earthly mediator, but we can draw near to you. We thank you, God, that despite our trials, despite our persecutors, despite our frustrations, despite our own flesh, we can hold fast to your promises. God, we thank you that you give us a church family, that you give us brothers and sisters in Christ to grow together, to exhort to to growth themselves. God, may we walk in the reality of these truths based on the foundation of your son as we seek to grow in you, as we seek to live triumphantly, to be overcomers, Father. May we look to you constantly, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.